Within the fun space, the topic of ESG remains paramount. My guest this afternoon is Daniela Clausen-Martin, who has been in the financial sector for almost 25 years, much of which were in the fund sector. Since the AIFMD came into force and the creation of the Manco in Luxembourg, she's been at the front line of providing governance to funds and is currently the CEO of Credit Suisse Fund Management in Luxembourg. Good afternoon, Daniela. Good afternoon, Jim. How big is the challenge for asset managers in terms of ESG compliance at the moment? Okay, so allow me to uh, to start a little bit with some considerations. So sustainable finance, ESG investing, impact investing are all concepts that are gaining traction and appeal. With investors beginning to understand that generating good returns can be compatible with creating positive impact for our planet. From some years now, for instance, large asset managers have been on something of a journey when it comes to ESG. Today, a little bit of figures. The ESG industry is calculated to be worth uh, about 38 trillion US dollars and it's growing as investors not only accept that ESG is an integral part of the investment strategy, but they positively seek ESG opportunities. Over the course of 2020, in Europe alone, ESG funds increased in total asset size by more than 37% to reach 1.2 billion, sorry, trillion, according to eFarma. And in terms of the future, global ESC assets are on track to exceed 53 trillion US dollar by 2025. So, so the whole industry, so we're talking about a huge part and an and very important part a of the industry. Very important part. And I think it's important to, um, to, to, to understand that. Now, um, the pandemic has served to accelerate thinking in this area as investors look t- to capitalize on the shared experiences on these 18 months. And uh, I would say that perspective is rebuilt a little more on purpose. Of course, the journey that's, that's not an year, uh, actually, we are just now at the start. And indeed, um, there are very real challenges on the horizon. Um, a few. Measurement and valuation is still highly fragmented, which is leaving managers open to allegations of greenwashing. There is more to do as regards standardization of common benchmarking and reporting across markets. Um, ESG uh, is still, in my view, uh, highly weighted towards the E, and there's still work to do to develop a little bit the S and the G. And skills around the sector perhaps needs also to be developed. Of course, uh, EU regulatory compliance is also a challenge. I'll uh, name three pieces of regulation, of which one is particularly important for, uh, for asset management. Uh, one is the uh, taxonomy, so-called taxonomy. I'm not going into, into detail, but basically uh, it is there uh, to try to harmonize the EU criteria to qualify as a green investment. And there are six objectives, as a reminder. So climate change mitigation, climate change adaptation, healthy ecosystem, circular economy, pollution prevention, sustainable use of water and marine resources. There's also the um, second regulation I'd like to mention is the climate benchmark and benchmark uh, ESG disclosures. Not going into detail, but trying to get a little bit more harmonization as regards the benchmark. Uh, but the immediate challenge for us at managers is SFDR. Uh, so the Sustainable Financial Disclosure Regulation, which is introducing compulsory disclosure in, um, in a set of documents, financial statements, pre-contractual documents, such as the prospectus website. 
There was already a first deadline in March 2021, which was imposing the classification of investment products, including funds, into three categories, so-called Article 9, Dark Green, Sustainable Funds, which uh, have clearly a sustainability objective, the Article 8, it's called Light Green Funds, ESG funds where sustainability is a key factor in the investment process, but not an objective, and Article 6, which is the others, basically non-ESG funds, where sustainability is not a key factor in the investment process. But what did it mean? Um, I think in March there was still a lot of uncertainty for at least smaller uh, m managers, and many have taken from my experience what I've seen, taken the choice to uh, categorize the funds at Article 6, six waiting for the level two regulatory technical standards as you as you know in european regulation there's a level one and a level two and so we are still waiting for that and that's a challenge because it's been postponed to july 22. Um, the key requirements in march were to publish a sustainability risk policy update the prospectus update the risk management process update the remuneration policy to include sustainability factors uh, these were the key uh, elements. Now, but I think and, for, and for people that are familiar with, yeah. with Paper Jam, they will have heard from the regulator that most funds achieved that. Not everybody, but most did. Yeah, no, indeed. And, uh, and, and also to mention that there was a fast-track procedure also from the CSSF, which was helpful. But um, a key element which is interesting to mention uh, is the integration of the so-called P. AI, so the Principal Adverse Impact Disclosure. It's an interesting one because basically uh, any fund will need to, to disclose on how the investment does not materially harm environmental and social objectives. So that's, that's, that's I think, an interesting development. Uh, so, you know, even if you are not, uh, say, a dark green fund, even if you're uh, so-called Article 6, there's still quite a lot to do. It's not you know, it's not that simple. And even there, we are still waiting for a mandatory template with level two. So um, just to conclude, as a consequence, this creates a lot of operational challenges. You need to review your risk management process to include ESG factors. And for the moment, there is no clear uh, guideline. You need to improve your uh, risk management process, in particular for the Article 9 and the Article 8, to ensure compliance, for instance, at the investment process and screening phase, and that's more complex for illiquid funds, like the private equity, real estate, venture capital funds, where there is less available data. And it's important to remember that the regulator will be scrutinizing any greenwashing. So it's actually important to implement these processes thoroughly. I'll stop there for the challenges. <laughs> now, a key challenge, um, am I right in thinking, is the cost of all of this. From what you've described, that you've just described a huge amount of work that suddenly we are having to do for funds that we didn't have to do before, correct? I mean, who's paying the cost for this? That's uh, the difficult question to answer. Um, certainly, that will impact the Manco market. Uh, it is difficult to, uh, you know, the management companies will have to in some way um, um, take on those those costs, I, I think, because it's a cost of compliance. Um, in terms, I make a distinction perhaps uh, um, following on your question, you know, uh, in between the in-house management companies and the um, third-party management companies. I think that's a, I think that's an important point to clarify, right? 
yeah, right now. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and as you know, I have experience in both. But, you know, when you look into in-house mancos, um, there is certainly an increased cost of compliance. Do I believe that it will be outbalanced by the opportunity cost of lost, uh, you know, sales opportunities? You simply cannot afford not being compliant, uh, in particular when it comes to institutional investors and pension funds. So I think that in the in the long run, it'll, you know, the, the advantages that you will have, increased income and, uh, you know, in particular, the opportunity cost will, will outbalance the, uh, the cost of compliance. Uh, today, it's simply impossible not to have a robust offer of ESG products. And the introduction of the new regulatory framework will increase comparability and compet competition amongst the players. Now, it's interesting you say that because we had one previous guest who is also an MD of a third-party Manco, and he said when he was originally in the industry, uh, third-party Mancos were charging 16 basis points, but he could now his competitors were only charging two. That <laughs> sounds like a huge decrease in fees. So let's speak about third-party Mancos then. Obviously, for a third-party Manco, it's trickier. Uh, because, uh, to be very honest, uh, um, well, f f for the time being, most requirements are actually at the level of the manager. It is also quite difficult to, to say I'm going to sort of charge that to my clients who are asset managers, to be very honest. And most of the time, having done this job for quite a long time, your clients, the asset manager, expect that it's absorbed by the manco. Unfair. And, and you're right. The margins are decreasing and decreasing. However, I believe that those players that can make it a value-added, you see, it's like with any regulation. You start with the regulation, it's a, it's a necessary evil. But after a while, if you are, um, how can I say, uh, after a while, if you are able to, to, to show the value-added, then it can become a competitive advantage even for any service provider including the management uh, company, I believe. Excellent. Thank you for that. Now, it's hard to escape the issue of data in terms of the measurability of the impact of ESG. Um, what changes do you see in the future to improve reporting transparency? Yeah, that's um, not an easy question to answer. I... Um I read a report, actually, an OECD report, which was published in 2020, which was looking into ESG investing uh, and um, reviewing different ESG metrics providers. So mm, there's a lot of work being done to try to get some comparability. Uh, the key findings of this analysis illustrate the ESG ratings, as you're saying, very strongly depending on the provider chosen. And that um, is you know, for several reasons, such as different framework, measures, key indicators, metrics, data use, and, and then we should not forget the qualitative judgment, which is behind, in particular so for some you know, more, more complex asset classes. So that report concludes that uh, notwithstanding the efforts by regulators uh, and different bodies and private sector participants in different jurisdictions and regions, global guidance may be needed. So what does it mean? Well, I personally now think that we need to get further convergence in between the players. We should aim at improve the transparency on the framework because that's the key differences. I think perhaps we should be trying to introduce some effective and active interaction with the end users. You know, a dialogue. What does the end user need? And then a certainly stricter harmonization on the methodologies for measuring these key performance indicators related to ESG. Now, I concur that this is easier said than implemented. Uh, 
and I do believe that the regulatory frame, framework and its implementation will help. We see that level two of SFTR uh, brings, uh, you know, certainly the necessity for the industry to work on these guidelines and practices. Uh, so what I wanted to say, it's not only the regulation, but it's also us as an industry. Can we sit together and try to find best practices? To that extent, I would like to mention that there are actually quite a few working groups, for instance, within ALFI, working on ESG, working on SFDR, and there was a um, publication of guidelines actually March for SFDR. Now, if I could go back to something you said earlier, you said that the E has really been paramount out of these acronyms in, in recent years. May I put it to you that uh, if we want the S to grow in importance, we're going to have to try and really get to the nuts and bolts of data. For example, um, if we want to have salary equality between men and women in a third world country, let's just say that's one of the metrics, we are dependent on the data actually being good from the source. But from as a funds industry professional, very difficult to get, suggesting that the S will always be a little bit of a grey area, don't you think? Yes, uh, again, I think you're right. And that's exactly what I meant with sort of qualitative data and the difficulties of measuring the, the, you know, the social impact. Um, that said, and there's again a personal consideration, I see, I've seen quite a few interesting impact funds which are trying to put at least, you know, their own uh, metrics. And, uh, and uh, I guess, again, that, you know, the more we invest into these funds, the more there is a demand from investors, the more we should have, you know, data gathering, which will be uh, helping, you know, to, 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 to cover for, uh, for, for, for the, the, well, the benchmarking KPIs. Now, let's look ahead for a second. What additional requirements may be made on funds as a result of the different articles of SFDR coming into force? That one, to be fairly honest, I, I hesitate a little bit, of course, because there's already, already quite a lot you know, on the plate, so we need to implement already what, what is there. Uh, one thing perhaps not to forget, as I said, so we are waiting for the level two, uh, the regulatory technical standards, which will be coming forth in 2022, and, uh, and uh, they will introduce more detailed uh, requirements. Um, so let's wait for those, and in particular for the um, Article 8 and Article 9. And the other thing I wanted to mention, we need to watch the space because we are also waiting uh, amendments in that respect for the AFMD, for uses of MIFID regulation. So I would say uh, more to come, but I would say hopefully more to come in the sense, can we specify a bit more what are the requirements, and again going into a little bit more standardization, harmonization. But we need to digest all of that as well. Perhaps can I just include one other question here about back to your third-party Manco days, because I know that the portfolio management part tends to be delegated. Um, if the extra requirements from SFDR began to get into the nuts and bolts about what kinds of investments a portfolio manager could or couldn't make, would that be managed by the Manco or would that also have to be part of the asset manager making those sort of decisions? Well, um, it's uh, an interesting question in the sense that there's always the main difficulty for the third-party mancos. You know, you are in charge. At the same time, you delegate, so you are dependent on what your client portfolio manager provides to you as information. That's the old challenge. So 
the manco remains responsible. So there, but there is more, you know, increasing the oversight and ensuring that you can get the right information from the manager. First of all, what was one of the challenges? Obviously, it was discussing with all managers, explaining for some who were, were smaller, what is the Article 6, Article 8, Article 9, and then ensuring that for those that decided to go into an Article 8, Article 9, they had actually correctly implemented that in their investment process. And that's the complexity for me when you speak about third-party mancos, because you cannot always, I'm going to say, completely influence the investment process of a delegated portfolio manager. At the same time, you are responsible to ensure that compliance with the regulation. So tricky one, but as a third-party manco, it's your role, oversight. Now, philosophically, for one second, we've just given an overview of the huge amount of work that's being generated here. Do you think that this will actually be a, a positive force for good in, in the world, or is this just all hot air? So... I am generally a very optimistic person, so I want and I strongly believe that it will make some difference. Um, I think that you know the improvement, uh, the implementation of uh, all of these measures shall lead to some increased transparency, for sure, it's inevitable, and harmonization. Uh, and again, as I said before, you know regulations are seen at the start as some necessary evil, but generally speaking, they are a trigger to a desired outcome. And the question is how long it takes. Um, I think apart from the, you know, what are the effects of this new regulation? Apart from the increase of investor awareness, well, protection from greenwashing and improvement on comparability, I think it helps also, it should help to redirect um, money towards sustainable projects in order to make economies, business and societies more resilient. Uh, and this will inevitably have an impact in the longer uh, run as only ESG compliant projects will receive the economic support from the industry, driven by this increased awareness. Uh, so again, regulation is an enabler, an accelerator of the inevitable increasing demand of such products from the new generation of investors. And I want to, to say a few words on that because the younger generation has already integrated ESG in their thinking. And therefore, in my view, a non-ESG compliant fund will simply not make it to that generation. I have two daughters who are um, teenager plus, and I see that ESG is completely, again, integrating their thinking, their choice of any day-to-day -day product. So why should that be different when there will be interested in investing in a, in a fund. So you think that actually young people may end up driving the change by their own investment decisions? Absolutely. I mean, as I say, yeah, I can't see, I can't see, uh, it's already completely integrated. And that's a strength. I think investors with drive are already driving this demand and it will continue. So in fact, our our hope is that if we were having this conversation in, say, four or five years' time, that we've moved down the pathway and now ESG has become the new normal. Yes. I think, uh, for me, it's not only hope. I actually have the conviction that we are really on the right, uh, on the right way. So thank you very much indeed to Daniela Clausen-Martin, CEO of Credit Suisse Fund Management Luxembourg. Daniela, thank you. Thanks, Jim. Thank you for joining us at today's Club Insights podcast. If you like this, you can tune into future podcasts wherever you find them at Spotify, Apple Music, or also at paperjam.lu. 
And if you'd like to join the Paper Jam and Delano Business Club, simply send an email to club at paperjam.lu.